Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. The Detroit sports hype arc of Jameson Williams catching that long TD pass from Goff to hitting the the button that blared the new LCA goal horn is just a testament to, for the first time in, uh, I can't remember how long, Detroit sports are actually fun and good. It is nice when Detroit sports can all get together and it's not over shared misery. How are the Pistons? Why, why, why we got to do that? Okay, fair enough. Hasn't started yet. So, so far, so good. (laughs) Okay. Okay. The hype around this team, we were talking before we we started recording that it is amazing how much more engaged everyone is when the hockey is good and fun. And that sounds like such a simple statement, but I don't say that lightly because Red Wings fans are among, if not the best fans in hockey. And I, I genuinely believe that. Like, this is a a fan base with history, with roots, who has new players to be excited about, et cetera, et cetera. But, and so the Red Wings fans always show up. They always do. But it is just to another level when this team is, you know, to borrow something from the Leafs world, which I, I am loath to do, hashtag actually good. Like, they're not stumbling into wins. It's only four games into the season. But the three wins that they had, they have been tilting the ice in their favor and you can see the best players that they brought in and have developed or traded for or whatever are making the difference and it's you feel like the Red Wings have just now for the first time in a decade plus tapped into what we've been watching all the other teams in the NHL do or mostly other teams in the NHL do for a long time like good players equal good results and it's just a bizarre calculation that's playing out in hockey town. This is the first hot start to the season the Red Wings have had since the rebuild started that doesn't feel unsustainable. Yeah, it doesn't feel fake. It doesn't feel like we're about to come on here and warn everyone that misery is coming. Yeah, it's like, yeah, enjoy it, you know, be happy, but the Red Wings got outshot by 15 shots again, so maybe the cliff is coming. All four games, Detroit has dominated four stretches, and in some cases, the entire game. Even their loss against one of the projected top teams in the NHL was probably about a 50-50 split in terms of who is controlling play of that game. Just New Jersey had a Jack Hughes, Detroit didn't. They dominated Tampa. They dominated Pittsburgh for everything but the third period, but I think that third period was more self-inflicted than anything else. And Columbus, who is the only weak team they've played, they dominated from start to finish. Crazy. Crazy, but good. Folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, which is fun and good, the world of the NHL, and lots more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we are going to be reviewing Detroit's last two games, wins against Columbus and in Detroit against Pittsburgh, the many storylines that have come out of those games, and the fact that the Red Wings have a leading point score across the entire NHL now on their team, which is not, not a, the, the, yeah. Like the, the, his face is on the stat page as the leading point score. We're going to be talking about anything and everything to do with those games, as well as taking a look ahead at Detroit's upcoming two games against Ottawa, which is a huge one. And then Calgary on Sunday, we'll be talking about specific storylines, players who have, you know, shown up really well. Joe Valeno, I think deserves a look maybe hasn't been talked about enough for for how well he's risen to the occasion in some ways. 
the Patrick Kane storyline continues, though some people may hate it, some people may love it, he is still connected to Detroit. We'll take a look at how Red Wings prospects are doing and then cover some NHL news all before we jump into overtime. Before that, I want to let you know about a couple things. First of all, Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA is Saturday, November 4th against the Boston Bruins. What that event is, is a partnered event between us, the Winged Wheel Podcast, and the Detroit Red Wings, where we host a live episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast at Little Caesars Arena before the game. And it's going to feature Ken Daniels, lead announcer for the Detroit Red Wings, as well as, we're now okay to announce it, I talked to Ken the other day, Chris Osgood, which is going to be a fun one. And I think it's Chris's first time, we've talked to him plenty, but this is the first time having him on the show. Correct. Which which will be exciting. So you get to come to that live episode hear us, but also most, more importantly, Ken and Chris. There's going to be a Q&A session, a meet and greet. You can have Evan, Chris, and Ken sign your stuff. There's going to be merch, uh, prizes, food and drink is going to be available to purchase as well. With each ticket, you don't actually only get access to the live recording and the game itself, but you also get a custom Winged Wheel Podcast special edition beanie that is co-branded with the Detroit Red Wings logo. So it's a officially licensed Detroit Red Wings Winged Wheel Podcast beanie. That is limited to the first 400 ticket buyers. I think we are under 30 remaining for those. So if you want yours, get yours ASAP. We are limited on those, so be sure to get your tickets fast. The tickets to the game themselves are discounted, and a portion of the proceeds from every ticket sold benefits the Jamie Daniels Foundation, which is why we're doing all of this. So it's a fantastic event, not just the live show, not just the game itself, not just the beanies, but you're also supporting a fantastic cause. So wingedwheelpodcast.com slash redwings or go to the link in the description of this episode to get your tickets again they are running out secondly patreon.com slash wingedwheelpodcast if you want to support the show everything that we do including running those winged wheel podcast nights is done through the support of our patrons one of the benefits that our patrons get is we are giving away two tickets to every red wings home game this season the vast majority of them are going to our patreon supporters just made the post today on how to sign up to enter for those draws so Patreon.com slash podcast to get access to that benefit and many, many more, which we'll talk about later. All right, let's jump into it here. Detroit is now 3-1-0. They lost to start the season against New Jersey and have won three decisive, or at least somewhat decisive games, as you mentioned, Brad, the two most recent against Columbus and Pittsburgh. So why don't we start with that Columbus game? It was a 4-0 win, a James Reimer debut shutout for Detroit, which was, I think James Reimer played well, but I think also the Red Wings really worked together to keep those pucks out. I You, you saw a little bit of like debut. He was swimming across a crease, James Reimer. He made some big saves, but so did, you know, Shane Gossespear, for example, who I think had himself an excellent, excellent game at both ends of the ice. Yeah, he was uh, one of our targets for low-key, more impactful pickup than maybe he was given credit for, and early in the season, that seems to be holding true. So Gossespierre opened scoring with his first goal uh, as a Detroit Red Wing off of a really nice play from Joe Valeno, who went down the left side and passed the puck back up to the top of the slot where Gossespierre fired at home. The next goal came in for Detroit from Michael Rasmussen, who stuck with the puck. JT Confer factored in on that one as well. Was like JT Confer, we talked about this last episode, he has been... I think, good through and through. One of Detroit's, I don't want to say more underappreciated players, but the way he intercepted the puck at the top of the zone, like I've seen a few people say JT Confer has really stood out for them. Dylan Larkin uh, then scored on the power play from Sider and Debrinkit. Larkin streaked in and split the D. Classic Larkin. I think he loves to pull off this move when he can. 
the uh, quick forehand backhand tuck at five hole move, which gets the goalie in transition sliding across the crease. And another power play goal after that as Andrew Cobb buried a Lucas Raymond rebound. And that was Detroit's 4 nothing win. Their power play was buzzing. They just dominated what was a weak Columbus team. Weaker than I expected, honestly. But they dominated that game through and through. And we said coming into it that, I think, Evan, you met, you mentioned that every single team is a measuring stick. Like, yeah, the Pittsburgh game is going to be, how do you measure up against a team who's trying to make the playoffs? But the Columbus game is... If you want to be a team that's fighting for the playoffs, you have to beat the Columbuses decisively, and I think that's what they did. Yeah, I I don't know if Columbus had an off night or what, but their big guns were essentially invisible for almost all of that game. Patrick Laine had one half-decent opportunity, but that was kind of it. Even a guy like I, th- I thought David Juracek maybe would stand out a little bit more, but he was mostly invisible and didn't have a lot of impact, but... Hey, the Red Wings uh, got to win those games. If the other team's not going to show up, you can't play down to them. And the Red Wings absolutely dominated that whole game. At the end of the game, though, you know, a 4 nothing game, Detroit's leading late. Things get chippy, which we've seen a couple times now, which is a unique position to be in. Usually Detroit's being chippy because they're pissed off, but it's going the other way. Clean Costin leveled Cole Sillinger. Clean hit, came in. You know, Sillinger is fine. There's nothing dirty at all about the hit. And Eric Branson. As is the case in the modern NHL, I really don't like this, but I, I understand that it's going to happen and roles reverse. I'd probably want Detroit to do it. But Good Branson stepped up and said, hey, you hit our young star. You have to drop the gloves now. This is kind of one of the reasons why Clem Costin was brought in to be able to make a statement like that and then also drop the gloves after so it's not, you know, Larkin breaking his hands or something. And that was a great tilt between Costin and Good Branson. Like those are two big boys. Oh my god. Big goodness. boys. Godzilla, King Kong, like the, the any one of those punches that connected would have killed me. Those are cinder blocks being thrown. I mean, Ryan, the Klim Reaper was right there. Okay, so it, I, I have seen the Klim Reaper, but it's pronounced Klim, so you have to say the Klim Reaper, which I don't How think... many European <laughs> names have we Englished up, and this is where you draw the line? He specifically requested it, but no, you're right, the Klim Reaper is a sweet <laughs> nickname. You know how I know that Klim Kostin is coming as advertised? Because the moment I posted the clip of that fight... Three quarters of the mentions and the quotes were Oilers fans pissed off at Ken Holland for letting him go. <laughs> like, livid with Ken Holland for letting him go. That was a huge hit, and that was a great tilt. Like, that was a heavyweight fight. And that's the kind of stuff where, does it matter on the scoreboard? No, it was still a 4 nothing game in the end. But that that's the kind of stuff that keeps the energy, keeps the vibes in the room going, keeps the boys motivated on the bench. And you might say, God, these are meaningless platitudes and they don't show up in the analytics or anything at all. But... Think about the feeling around Red Wings hockey right now. That contributes to it. And that's what motivates the team to keep coming together as a group and, and, you know, have an identity. Also, it's good to know that there's someone on the team who can drop them like that if someone takes a run at, you know, to break it or something later on. Let's your stars be the, be stars. That's right. they got someone else who can answer the bell. That doesn't stop Dylan Larkin from trying to fight no. people. Of course, <laughs> which you love Dylan for, but... Fast forward to the next game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was a, a huge tilt. All in all, I liked the the contributions from Gosses Bear, uh, especially that game. Like, I know the Reimer shutout is is one of the most notable parts, but Gosses Bear, you know, saved goals at his own end, made some key defensive plays, and was just contributing offensively, so... That was a, a hell of a performance by the Red Wings to to dominate in that regard. The next game against Pittsburgh, and that was, we knew that was going to be a real test because Pittsburgh, you know, they added Eric Carlson. They loaded up essentially to try to make the playoffs again with the, whatever time is left. 
with their core, including 101st best player in the NHL, Evgeny Malkin. (laughs) (laughs) I feel bad. Like, making that list is an unforgivable or a very, you know, thankless task. But it's funny that this has happened to Malkin twice now. (laughs) I know. Wait, they've done that list twice? No, a long time ago, the NHL tried a top 100 players of all time thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, Duncan Keith was on there and Evgeny Malkin wasn't. I remember that one. And they now ESPN has recently dropped another one, like top 100 players in the NHL. And like Seth Jones is up there. Wait, in the NHL or all time? In the NHL. Oh, come on. And Malkin, like, yeah, anyways. <laughs> so it was very, very, <laughs> very funny. Again, I do think it's a thankless task. And I, I know... Uh, Wyshynski had, uh, they've dropped a pod where they explained why, and I haven't been able to tune into it yet, but it is funny that it's happened to Malkin twice. Anyhow, Detroit 6-3 over the Pittsburgh Penguins. It wasn't an easy game to win, I'll say. Like, less than a minute in, Evgeny Malkin, who else, scored on Detroit, and for the first, I would say, half of the first period at least, Detroit didn't look good. And I was thinking, ooh, is this the first little look we're going to get in at Detroit's, uh, how they stand up against better teams in the league. I mean, it was right after two games after they beat Tampa, but yeah, it was a sluggish start. Probably the best way to put it. Mm -hmm. They look slow. Pittsburgh had more energy, which should never happen at home, but you could tell very quickly once Detroit found their feet that the tide shifted. And from about that 10 minute mark in the first period until the second intermission, it looked like Pittsburgh and Detroit belonged to different leagues. Detroit was all over them, and the shot margin was different. The score went from one nothing to uh, Pittsburgh to four one Detroit in that stretch, and it was everything we were hoping to see Detroit carry over from the Tampa and the Columbus games, and in some instances, a bit more. Yeah, it's again, especially because you know you can say what you want about Tampa's goaltending, but they're still a good team. But Tampa still has a goaltending issue. I mean, DeBrinket bounced one in from the blue line that game. Let's not forget. Pittsburgh was healthy, had their starter in net. You know, Crosby and Malkin are firing this year. So this was going to probably be their best test of, you know, the week to narrow it down a little too specifically. But yeah, they stepped up. Some old habits crept in in the third period. Mm -hmm. That whole prevent defense, which never works in football and apparently does not translate to hockey very well and hasn't over the last eight years. But, you know, old habits die hard. The thing that I talked about at the top of the show, which was Detroit has been able to tilt the ice in their favor, was really on display in Pittsburgh. Because it's one thing to do it when you're, you know, dominating Columbus or Tampa's somewhat poor goaltending that game is going to deflate them. But Pittsburgh came out hot. And Detroit's best players, especially that first line, you you put them out on the ice and they come in and they make an immediate impact. And we'll talk about the goals and such in a second, but, you know, they're creating chances. They are generating the offense and they are controlling the puck. And I mean across both teams, like not just they're the primary puck drivers for Detroit. I mean, they are taking the puck away from the Pittsburgh Penguins, who by all rights should be a decent team in the East, and they are controlling play. You talked about, you know, deserving to win. I think Money Puck has the deserve to win meter most games, they are coming out ahead on that. Funny enough, I think actually Pittsburgh had the the measure this this game overall, but that's because I think the first half of the first and then what happened in the third probably tilted it. But yeah, Detroit's like they are they are getting that play driving from more than just their best players, but their best players are often doing it. And in this game as well, the defense. Well, 
this is where Lalone deserves a bunch of credit. And I know it's way too early to take a victory lap, but I know this is a an opinion a few of us held very strongly in the offseason once uh, the roster was set, in that Lalone has created very favorable matchups for the Larkin line because he created a second line of Cop, Comfer, and Rasmussen that specialize in defense, shutting down the other team's opponents. So, you know, Comfer, Cop, Rasmussen, for as long as that line sticks together, is going to get a steady stream of the Sidney Crosby's, Tim Stutzla's, Patrick Laine's of the world, which frees Dylan Larkin, Alex Brinkett, and Lucas Raymond up to play against second lines, second pairings, however the other team's going to deploy it, and quite frankly, pick on them. And they have been. So we knew there was no combination of players the Red Wings would be able to create on the second line that would be an above average NHL second line. So we hypothesized if you create a really sound defensive line to be a matchup line, it would free up the rest of the roster. That's exactly what's been happening. And it's, and again, to Lalone's credit, he tried balancing those two lines for two periods of the first game, saw it wasn't working really and went, nope, yep. we're loading up the top line and we're going to make it work below that. And ever since then, Detroit has been almost literally unbeatable. So scoring opened up as Austin Zarnick had a great feed streaking down the left side to find Alex Dabrinkit, who, as is his job, was at the right place at the right time and banked a goal in. But Zarnick, really, credit to him. That was an excellent, excellent pass. And then after that, it was Ben Sherratt who found uh, a puck, a feed from Dylan Larkin. Sherratt snapped it home. We've always said for any you know faults that Sherratt might have. And I had some, I was watching the start of the game and I thought, oh, Petrie and Sherratt, that pairing, not off to a hot start, you lose Malkin on the side and you know other small plays. But offensively, you see where they shine and they they can contribute. Sherrod inside the other team's blue line is dangerous and snapped one home. Cop got a Petrie point shot. Speaking of you know offensive contributions, I think this was a good night for Petrie. He had what was it two assists in the end. So Cop tipped that one home and then Perron on the power play. When it looked like Perron's start of the season has been a little bit slower, he. Banked that banked in that power play goal that ended up being from Larkin to, and Debrinket, who continued to you know, put up points and lead the team in scoring. So, just like that, the Red Wings went down for one nothing, and then were up four one, and it looked like they were controlling everything over Pittsburgh. Now, Brad's best friend Eric Carlson contributed a lot to the you know comeback or almost comeback from Pittsburgh, which you know, worried me a little bit because Detroit did have, I believe, a 4 nothing comeback last year against Pittsburgh, which ended in the Jake Wallman gritty, which was hilarious. But I thought, ooh, I would, you know, hate to see that reverse this time. That would be a terrible turn of events. But Carlson scored one, and then Rust put one in off of a Carlson shot, and all of a sudden it was 4-3. But, and then Detroit went into, like you said, Brad, that prevent defense. Oh, they were well into it at that point. Almost the entire yeah, third yeah. period. And that's that's why if you look at an overall measure of the game, you know, Pittsburgh might have analytically the the balance of of outcomes in terms of, you know, deserve to win o meter or whatever you look at. But to me that was Detroit still has to kind of grow out of that. I agree with you completely. I, I don't think it would it should have been a foregone conclusion based on the roster that Detroit has that Pittsburgh should have been dominating like that. Mind you, Eric Carlson, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, those guys, they're going to have offense and put apply pressure to your team. You're not going to shut them down every game, but to the tune, the magnitude and how long it went on, you can see Detroit was scrambling a little bit, but they did hang on. Huso made some key saves. Cop 
got a empty net goal that was reviewed for offside, which I actually think it was offside, but they just didn't have the angles to overturn it. They certainly tried. Like that review took way, way, way too long, but still. And then Alex Dabrinka got an empty netter as well to give him his fifth goal on the year. So, and that was a power play goal. So Detroit's win held on 6-3. Was it the prettiest win in the world? No, but that has left Detroit among the, through four games, leaders in the division and off to a fantastic start that's warranted. Yeah, they're what tied for first in the Eastern Conference. Mm-hmm. The number one power play in the NHL as yeah. of recording at just under 50%, just like we all predicted. The offense has been what's been carrying this team. The goaltending has been good, but not anything special to this point in the year, and they're still winning. The defense has been mostly good, but you can tell there's still some you know warts they're trying to get rid of. Mm-hmm. And every team's going through that right now, so I don't think anybody's panicking, let alone the Red Wings. The only thing that can get in the Red Wings way right now is the Red Wings, because they're finding the formula that works, and as we saw in the third period against Pittsburgh, when you deviate from that formula, bad things happen. Mm-hmm. You know, because even watching it, it was so obvious that the Red Wings went from this puck control, transition, high tempo team willing to, you know, take the risks, make the pass, make the pinch to get puck, glass out, forecheck, lather, rinse, repeat, and gave Pittsburgh. I don't care how good your defensive cycle is. If you give, Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, I'm exaggerating here, of course, but like 15 minutes of ozone time, the puck's going to go in the net a bunch. You could have five Nick Lidstrom's on the ice. Eventually, some pucks are going to go in when you're defending for that much time. And the Red Wings got off their aggressive offense, fast, whatever you want to call it, approach, and it almost cost them the game. You know, the best way, the best defense is a good offense. If you're spending most of that period in Pittsburgh zone still, you're not going to give up any. And hell, you might even pad that lead a little more. That was my only real concern from that game, truthfully. And, you know, this is just the one thing. And a lot of teams do this. I'm not saying the Red Wings are in a bubble on this. The prevent defense is super common, almost entirely ineffective. And I can't believe this is the this is the one thing in hockey coaching circles I can't believe is still a thing because of how time and time again we see it doesn't work. Because it's not football, but I digress. Overall, it was they were the better team, and you could see the formula, I guess is the word I'll keep using, for how this team is going to succeed. Like, Let's boil it down here. What are the issues we're talking about? Detroit has settled into a lead once, maybe twice, and it, it scared them for a hot second. There are some concerns a little bit about the defensive positioning in their depth defense. The Red Wings aren't perfect. They're not going to be perfect. I don't think they're going to be winning 75% of their games all year. But we're talking about problems that every team in the NHL has at one point or another. We are not talking about, hey, they have a catastrophically poor goaltending situation. Or, hey, Mo Sider's out on an island and there's no one else to support him. Or, you know, Dylan Larkin and Lucas Raymond are getting ISO'd and this power play is is garbage. And the penalty kill can't stop anything. Like We're not talking about that. And we are... We have been doing that essentially every 12 months for since we started this show. So, again, sustainable at the levels we see now? No, of course not. No team in the NHL is going to do that. But it's it's a sign, I think, these first four games. I'm being a little dramatic, maybe. But it's a sign that the Red Wings now have the personnel to take the step. And we are seeing the early signs of those first steps being taken. 
Well, it, it's certainly been a dream start for Red Wings and Red Wings fans, and it's all culminating to Saturday with the team that they are tied with in the for the division lead, the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, it's been funny watching, you know, every time Debrinket scores, a bunch of people, because there's the online feud brewing between, or has already brewed between Red Wings fans and Sens fans. I think the rivalry itself is still brewing, but those two online communities are, they go at each other's throats. I don't, I think it's funny to watch from the sidelines. And every time someone replied saying, oh, you know, Sens in the dirt or whatever, I'm like, they just got Josh Norris back. He scored two goals in his debut and they're in the exact same position as Detroit. I think both fan bases are pretty happy right now. But you're right. They are now, it's now leading up to some serious games. And I can't tell you how good it is to, that like the Red Wings can look forward to divisional games and actually not be lying to themselves when we say that is a key game on the schedule and it's still October. Biggest game of the year thus far. Crazy. Before we jump into the individual storylines, highlight between these two games, I have to say, has been Ken and Mick being in midseason form and <laughs> Mickey Redman asking Ken Daniels if R2-D2 was a Star War. <laughs> it was an incredible clip. I'll link to it. It was hysterical. I don't think the national broadcasts are, you know, terrible. I, I like what TNT does especially, but I got to say, we're really blessed Red Wings fans to have, you know, Ken Mick and the entire crew at Bally. And every time they're away, it's like, oh, God, we miss them. I, I know a lot of Red Wings fans complain about the national broadcasts. They, there is some bias in those broadcasts, but we also over-exaggerate the flaws of the national broadcast because of what we are used to. Yeah. It yeah. is hard to keep up to that standard. So even if a national broadcast gives like a B minus performance, we're comparing it to, you know, gaming came out A plus performances. So it's obviously always going to feel like a letdown. So overall notes from that game, I think great to get offense from the defense for whatever faulty start might have been had by Sherratt and Petrie. They both factored in in a noticeable way offensively. Cop has been putting points up on the board. Those are two more goals from him and the power play stayed hot. So why don't we start by talking about that power play before we get into it itself. Detroit has the number one power play in the NHL right now. It's through four games, yes, but they have the number one power play in the NHL right now. At the time of recording, they are at 46.2%. They're not the Edmonton Oilers, so that's not going to be sustainable, but the teams behind them, Toronto at 40, Edmonton at 35.7, Canucks at 33.3, and the Devils at 31.2. I know the Canucks are, might seem like an outlier, but they're actually starting off really well this season. But Detroit's power play is absolutely no joke. And I think Prashanth pointed it out during the last game, and then they scored two more power play goals after that or something like that. Like This is a team whose power play is clicking. It's not the first time we've seen it click. You know, I think Alex Tange, especially once he came in, there was a really red-hot stretch where we were all calling out, like, thank goodness this power play is finally fixed. But it's clicking because they're doing the right things, yes, and the systems are working, yes, but because the personnel is now filled out, and you can have two power play units that are at least somewhat dangerous. And it's not just that the personnel is better, although that is very much the case because the whole, you know, mm -hmm. way a power play succeeds is options, options, options. You've got five options on the ice right now because you got to bring it and Goss's bear on the wall in with the appropriate handedness. You've got cider at the top. You've got prawn net front and you got Larkin in the bumper, like all legitimate scoring threats from where they are. But more importantly, they've got it constructed properly. I know it's a small thing, but handedness on a power play matters a lot. How many chances have the Red Wings had off a shot 
from Larkin in the bumper. Perron scored last night off a Larkin shot in the bumper because they've been, you know, it's a Tampa special. They've just been doing it from the other side because you've got the righty in Debrinket and you've got the righty in Perron playing net front and half wall and the lefty in the bumper and Larkin, which means that every time that puck is near Perron or Debrinket, it's a shot threat and it's a pass threat. And then it's a one-time threat for Larkin and it's a rebound threat for Debrinket, more specifically Perron. And then you go to the top of the key, top, you got Sider there, the righty, and you got Goss to spare the lefty. Shot threat, shot threat when either of them have the puck. That's why this is working. Obviously, obviously the most important thing is these players on this unit are better than the players on this unit last year. But it's also constructed in the perfect way where there is no keying on one player. As obvious as it sounds to say, okay, you can shadow to bring it, take away that one-timer threat. Detroit can still pick you apart on the four-on-three otherwise. Not only do they have the top power play unit, but the way you figured they would score the most goals in the power play with the Debrinket one-timer hasn't happened yet. They're the number one power play without even having to use that option yet. Like, I've, they've tried it, but Debrinket kind of, sort of had a goal against New Jersey from that spot. Otherwise, it's been entirely different ways of getting it in the net. It inspires confidence that even if they don't go the entire season as the number one power play, they should be an above average power play. They have the tools. Barring, you know, you know, God forbid, bad injury or, or something devastating the the makeup of those power play units, like they should be able to perform at a level that'll keep them scoring at a higher than NHL average level, which is good because we talked a lot, and, and this is the next topic here, we talked a lot all offseason about where the goal is going to come from. Yes, Debrinkit's going to score more, and yes, that will probably have a knock-on effect for Raymond and Larkin, and it seems like that's the case so far. Absolutely, that's the case. Alex Debrinkit's currently second in the NHL in goals, but this entire team is scoring. It's four games in, and it's not just from the top line. It is from their depth. Like Comfort is contributing. Gosses Bear is contributing. Andrew Kopp is contributing. It's early. It is early. So yeah, you might say, holy Ryan, stop extrapolating over the course of a season. But, you know, if the season started and they weren't scoring, they scored half as many goals and we would absolutely be sitting here saying, yeah, this is what we were concerned about. So for Detroit to come in and surprise, like Alex Dabrinkit, eight points, leads the NHL. Dylan Larkin, six points right behind him. Andrew Kopp, four points. Shane Gosses Bear, JT Confer, four points. It's... None of these guys are Connor McDavid, but Detroit is through four games scoring at a level that shows you, yeah, that that scoring by committee is actually kind of working. So my way too early question is, does this inspire confidence that there is a solution that's actually tangible or tenable over the course of a season in terms of Detroit's offensive output in your mind? I don't even think I would call it a solution. I, the word I was using earlier was formula, and I'm sticking to that. The Red Wings had a very specific path to make this offense work. And that's what they've been doing, and it's been working. I don't think they're screwed if the top line cools down, but there will be questions about can Comfer and Cop and Rasmussen score enough to lift them up, especially if they're playing the matchup role. The big difference this year might be, well, now all of a sudden that frees up Perron and Sprong on the third line. It's a really damn strong third line to match up against other teams' bottom six lines. It's got to be goals by committee, and it's got to be good special teams. 
This is what they need to do. This is what's been happening. And is it going to continue at this pace for the whole year? Of course not. I don't think anybody realistically thinks the Brinkett's going to score 100 goals. But 40's not out of the question the way he's playing. And, you know, if Larkin, Larkin only has one goal. Lucas Raymond only has one goal. And this team's still scoring at that clip. So the solution looks sustainable. If the defense also keeps contributing, which I don't think we've seen a fully unlocked Mo Sider, Jake Wallman, but Goss has come in and been exactly what we've hoped he would be. You know, Sherratt and Petrie, for whatever faults you might find, have already shown that they're still the players that they always have been, which is they can contribute offensively. Like, this is a group where, even without Simon Edvinson coming in, you should get some support from the blue line as well, not just from your best defensive player too. So there are backstops. Like you said, individual cool-offs are going to happen. Someone tweeted at me, they said, the first time Dabrinkit goes on a, a cold streak, I'm blaming you, Ryan. And I said, yeah, that's that's absolutely fair. It will be my fault. But he will cool off but the personnel are there to to support it. So are they going to spend the entire season, you know, within one goal of Carolina's goal output and among the league leaders in in scoring? Probably not. But where's your faith? Yeah, I know. You're right? the, this is the optimistic wow. season for Ryan, I thought. Huh? Oh, what a pessimist. Wow, he's so pessimistic all the time, eh? Don't don't commandeer my bit. Screw both of you. You you abandoned your bit. Now we're starting our own. You guys are going to be the optimists? No, you're the pessimist. So what are you? Neutral. Oh, piss off. <laughs> <laughs> I have to be the optimist then? That's no, not good. You got to help us all. But no, Detroit's going to at least, I think it's fair to set the expectation that, yeah, they they can score similar to the power play at a rate that's reasonable and shouldn't be able to, or shouldn't be dragging them down the standings. Or at least you can hope for that. So were we too harsh in the preseason to say where these goals going to come from? I don't think so. I think it's still a question that has to be answered over the course of the year, but this is extremely, extremely promising to start. Now let's just jump into what I think is the most exciting news after four games. Yeah, Detroit being 3-1 is great. Yes, you know, winning those games and demonstrating your ability across some top teams, especially in Tampa and Pittsburgh is great. But through four games, the Red Wings have someone who's leading the NHL in points scoring in Alex Dabrinkit. Eight points at the time of recording, leads the entire league. I know it's four games in. I should just tattoo that across my forehead for this episode. But you have a points leader. What a start. What a homecoming. Could you have asked for better for Alex to bring it? No. This is beyond what we could have hoped. I, I think, what did we set the over-under for his goal total at the year? 34 and a half? Like, we were optimistic that he would improve upon last year, but not, not like this. Uh, he's got a realistic chance to hit 40, creep up on 50 the way he's going. And obviously the Red Wings are using him very heavily right now. And, you know, the attrition will come in towards the end of the season because he did not play this role in Ottawa. And when he was in Chicago, he had Kane, he had Taze, he had a lot of help that, hey, as much as we love Dylan Larkin, Dylan Larkin isn't prime Patrick Kane in terms of offensive generation. So got to keep that in the back of our minds this whole time he does have that fluky goal against Tampa he does have an empty netter so they count they count and you have to be playing well enough to put yourself in those situations yeah and when you're an opportunistic scorer like Debrinkit is yeah these things are going to happen from time to time if you're a volume shooter guess what you're going to get some lucky ones that comes with the territory it is how do I phrase this 
We've spent the last three years smashing this table going, this rebuild can't end until the Red Wings get a couple elite scorers. And I don't know if Debrinkit falls into the category of elite, but this is a glimpse into what the Red Wings could look like with that. Because so far he's been that. And only one. You add another one, you can see the difference that makes. Second in the NHL in goals with five, he trails only Austin Matthews, who started this season with two hat-tricks, which great start for Austin Matthews. But it all in all, it is a little jarring to see so many Red Wings near the top of scoring charts, and especially right at the top of the point scoring chart. And yeah, in like if if Alex Debrinka came in and was like, ah, I'm a 25 goal guy, I have to adjust to the season. He started the season kind of slow, maybe only assist to start. I wouldn't have sounded any alarm bells because I, it would have been so reasonable. Like you said, Brad played in a different system, played with different talent, played in a different role. Yeah, he didn't have Josh Norris last year. Maybe that contributed to part of why he didn't score as much. Ottawa fans will all tell you that the effort and the finish wasn't there last year, which I think is actually fair for them to say. But he came in and every single knock against him or something that would have been a reasonable excuse for a slower start, he dispelled all of those notions and has come out like the kind of guy who's wanted to play for the Detroit Red Wings for his entire life and is playing on the top line with two of their best players. So I think Detroit does have one of those elite goal scorers or someone who can put up 40 goals, which that's all you can really ask for. So there's work to be done yet on the scoring front and the elite talent front, but Debrinkit is leading the way and that's the best storyline that you could have asked for as a Red Wings fan. Yeah, I think his situation in Ottawa was very much an oil and water situation. He never asked to really be there. He didn't really get put in the position that uh, was most advantageous and beneficial f- for him to really pop off. So the fact that he was able to come over to Detroit, have the whole summer to acclimatize, it's he couldn't have been put in a better spot to to start off the season as he has, and it's, it's paid off in, in spades so far. So really it's a dream start for the Red Wings and for Alex Dabrinkit. Joe Valeno got moved up to the third line and was paired with Sprong and Perron, which I've noticed, I've been watching his game pretty closely. I think a lot of Red Wings fans have, and I've liked a lot of what I've seen from Joe Valeno. Obviously, he hasn't shown up on the score sheet, and so I think he has just the one assist so far. So we're not talking about Joe Valeno being among the team leaders, but I don't know. Am I wrong in saying that I've liked the steps that he's taken in his game? Joe Valeno is one of those guys It's hard to pick apart his game. He's well-rounded. He does all the things right. He just seems to lack that scoring touch, plainly. He just he doesn't have the feel for the offensive zone that, you know, a Dylan Larkin and Alex Abrinkit at JT Comfort might have. Beyond that, yeah, what is there to complain about? He Defensively, he's been great. Face-offs, he's been great. Puck battles, he's been great. He does have those moments, like on the Gostaspair goal, you know, given the opportunity, he'll make the right play. It doesn't come naturally to him, but he's not devoid of it. So put in the right spot, he can thrive. And you get two natural scores like Sprong and Perron on either side of them. Maybe this is what unlocks that end of the game for him. Yeah, I think it's a good sign that he's been trusted to move up into that role and have those two guys because you can't have Sprong and Perron be erased offensively. That's just too much talent to not be contributing in a depth space so it's an opportunity for Joe Valeno to come in and say yeah maybe you're not gonna be the primary driver of offense but you have two guys who can pull the trigger and or facilitate as Perron is really adept with doing so 
if he can make the most of this, then maybe that's how he sticks in this role. I don't know that he's going to for the reasons that you stated, Brad, but for all the other things that he's doing in his game, I, I think he's doing it well. Faceoffs is a really good point. Puck battles. Puck battles across the entire team, I find they're doing a really good job this year. Like, much, much better than what we've seen in the past. And, you know, this is a lot of coach speak. Like, hockey's one in a one-foot-by-one-foot box or whatever metric that coach wants to use for that that specific speech. But they are coming away from a lot of 50-50 puck battles or, you know, even less than 50-50 puck battles and retaining possession or forcing a turnover. And those are the little things that add up to the kind of goals that aren't the prettiest but still count all the same on the scoreboard. And over an 82-game season, that's what you need to be doing to win those games. So that's, for me, a coaching thing. Part of it is the players too, like Lucas Raymond getting a lot stronger. Yes, you are going to get better with puck battles, but I've... I've seen a lot of turnaround this season specifically from Detroit in that space. Well, I've lingered on the excitement of Detroit's success so far. I am absolutely milking those four games for what they're worth, but we've reached the end of that. A look ahead to the next two games on the road against Ottawa on Saturday, 1 p.m. Eastern, and at home against Calgary at 5 p.m. Eastern. It doesn't need to be stated, but that Ottawa game is absolutely key. Like you said, Evan, that's the biggest game of the year so far. and. That was the case even before the season started. Like, let's say both teams started terribly. It still would have been a huge game because they're kind of fighting through the same phase of their rebuild and they're both hoping for a wild card spot. But, you know, Ottawa off to the same start. Like I said, closer to the top of the show, they're also very happy with how their team has performed and they're in the exact same position as Detroit. So that's a game that's going to carry a lot of weight. And it's funny because it's going to be a direct carryover of those two games last season where Ottawa thumped Detroit. This feels like a very symbolic week, doesn't it? It does. You have two teams last night who have been, for the better part of the last two decades, running the Eastern Conference, or at least been consistent contenders with Washington and Pittsburgh. You have the upstarts, Detroit and Ottawa, who knocked both of them off last night. And then those two upstarts are playing each other this Saturday to determine early in the season who's the more legitimate playoff threat. So it's kind of fun. I know the NHL schedule makers have nothing to do with the storylines like this, but this almost feels too perfect of a week. Sometimes they do, but yeah, things have fallen together in a way where it's really contributed to the drama. I wonder if this is what it's just like to have a good team, that there are more storylines in general. And I want us to look back. I want us to, to bottle up this moment and look back on it when we're in like January, February in the throes of the season and games just come and pass and they just feel like, oh God, why does the NHL go past 60 games in the regular season? That is a great point, but we'll talk about that later. A different time, yeah. Yeah. this I think you had it right with your first point. I think this is just how it is when your team is good. Because I know I started the episode saying this, but it's probably worth repeating after that point. It feels like games matter now. Mm -hmm. It feels like it's sustainable. Who knows how huge taking those two points off Tampa and taking those two points off Pittsburgh, two teams potentially on the playoff bubble, could be come... January, February, whatever you want to call it. And then Ottawa, who's the more likely team to be in this same boat, it's massive. Storylines aren't as interesting when you just get beat down by the better teams all the time. You can't really develop a rivalry. You're talking about, oh, what's this prospect doing? The prospect profiles start up. Yeah. You're wondering where you're going to be in the draft lottery. You know, when you're actually seeing a competitive team, a lot of these storylines just happen organically and uh we need to yeah you're right ryan we do need to bottle this up and, and remember it because um weeks like this can be fleeting especially in a 
a professional sport like hockey. It feels like the barometer as content creators for how good of a season this is, is if we reference, if we have less than 10 Macklin Celebrini conversations by right. the end of the season. We've mine already talked always, about him. Mine has always been, when do we start the prospect profiles? That's sort of always been the measuring stick. And, you know, there's probably been years we could have started a, a lot <laughs> earlier. We just refused to do it because we still had hope. I'm not starting prospect profiles while I still have Christmas decorations up. So there's years March, we could have, though. March? No, 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 no. We're like a... <laughs> Or like two weeks into January, they're down. Yeah, that's, but that's you're good. sicko. You're like December twenty sixth. You take them. Yeah, down. they're down. Oh my god. Anyways, that's Detroit's upcoming schedule. So Ottawa, Calgary, we're going to be coming at you late Sunday evening after the Calgary game. So we will have a recap of the next two games for next episode. All right, the Patrick Kane rumors. Obviously, Patrick Kane has been linked to the Detroit Red Wings by way of Alex DeBrincat for a long time. Former Chicago teammates, one of the most you know, efficient connections in the NHL when they played together. It's no wonder that they're going to be linked. And Frank Saravalli of Daily Faceoff has reported that that is still the case, that Detroit is among the teams who may be in the mix. I think Buffalo is still the favorite. You know, teams that are going to be challenging for the Cup are going to be the favorite because Kane isn't going to want to come in and play for a team that's going to be wallowing like Chicago is now. But, you know, if Detroit has that connection with DeBrinckit, that's one check on that box. And the second part of it is, if they are a team that's looking to at least challenge in the playoffs, then is that sufficient? The next part of it is money and term and what's he actually looking for and how good is Patrick Kane after the hip resurfacing surgery, etc. That's a different question, but I think it is, based on what we've heard and what's actually been reported, it's still a very real thing that's a possibility. Well, looking at the standings and checking where Detroit and Buffalo is, I just want to say it's BS that Buffalo's still the favorites. <laughs> We're talking about Buffalo. Yeah, but we're talking about a first place team versus a last place team in the Atlantic right now. Just saying. Yeah. The question I have with Patrick Kane is if he was to sign with the Red Wings today, he's not playing with Alex Debrinkit on Saturday. That's my biggest question mark with this whole thing, too, is you're not putting Patrick Kane on your first line. Yeah. You're not. Yeah. Larkin, Raymond, and Debrinkit have all been playing great. They're working well together. You're not breaking that line up. The only scenario I could see where they could play together is if you put Patrick Kane and Gostisbehere's spot on the first power play unit to free up Gostisbehere for the second unit and then to allow Patrick Kane to play a little bit with Debrinkit, but I don't even know if I'm doing that for sure. I mean, it's Patrick Kane. You probably do that. But is... Patrick Kane going to come to Detroit because of Alex Dabrinkit if he's not going to play on a line with Alex Dabrinkit? I can see a situation like, let's say the Red Wings, their season plays out immaculately and they are a playoff team through and through. Maybe they hold on to a third divisional seat or a wild card spot, whatever. Like, it might get dicey for a second, but they actually keep up a reasonable pace of play and scoring and they make it this year and surprise most people. That's great. Then, if you're Steve Eisenman, you're looking into how do you make the most out of this without breaking the bank? Well, you're not going to go out and trade all of your prospects for a rental at the deadline. But a rental that only costs you some cap space is a different story. We know the cap next year is going to be, what, 87.7 is the current projection. So plus or minus whatever you want to take there. But it's going to go up still. You take a look at Patrick Kane and come playoff time, Maybe lines get jumbled up then. Maybe he offers a depth scoring opportunity. Maybe you sign him for multiple years to say, hey, 
you know, you might not be playing with Jabrinkit all the time, but on the power play, we'll stick you with him. And, and sometimes we just want to see what we can make of this playoff run. So like you said, Brad, yeah, there are ways this could fit in, but it all depends on, you know, what's Kane looking for in terms of money and term. And if he is required to be glued to Alex Jabrinkit, then I'm not sure that I'm doing that if I'm Detroit. But yeah. worth keeping an eye on. Okay. Moving on, let's take some more NHL news. Or actually, let's go overseas. Axel Sandin Pelica. Man, five goals already. He is going to be knocking on the door next year. I like that he's taken on this role of this year's Red Wings, you know, Swedish prospect who's just dominating. But this guy looks like exactly what he we thought he would be offensively from the blue line. Yes, this is a uh, another shining example of how on point our prospecting is. <laughs> yeah, we've never messed up. We've only been correct. Nailed it every time without any flaws whatsoever. And we're don't only, check the tapes. We are only judging our results right now by Axel Sandin Pelica. It, well, yeah, and, and you know what? We we're chopping it right there. We're not even going to go all the way up to pick nine. We're just focusing on pick seventeen. Nailed it. I liked it, Nate Danielson. Think that's just me. Let's take some NHL news here. Alex Ovechkin. Is he slowing down? Two straight games for the first time in his career with zero shots on goal. I'm going to answer that question with a question. Is he slowing down? Or are the Capitals bad? Well, he's been on bad Capitals teams. But when he was like 20 years old. Yeah. yeah. It's still nuts to me that he's had never had two consecutive games of zero shots. That's crazy. That's Unbelievable. I, I, to be fair, and I know I mentioned this to Ryan before we started recording, he had a ton of shots in those two games. They just were all either blocked or missed the net. He didn't look the best. And, you know, father time is undefeated. So I'm wondering if this isn't just, you know, off-season hangover. The older you get, the harder it is to shake off the rust. Like, I don't think Perron's having the best start to the year, but he's no less talented than he was last year, I don't think. So... They might just need a little bit more runway. He's, what, 70-something goals away? I just don't see him not breaking the, the Gretzky goal record. He'll stay around as long as he needs. To. Yeah, and he's still got three or four years left on that contract, whatever it is. The thing that I think is going to hinder him the most, and to answer my own question, I don't think it's fully an Ovechkin problem. I think the team is probably the most to blame because – we all know what Ovi does on the power play, and everybody's been saying, okay, yeah, he's going to get older, he's going to slow down but he's always going to have that one-timer. He never moves on the power play, so it doesn't even matter. As long as he has his shot, you can pencil him in for 30 a year at least. But the reason that worked on Washington's power play forever was because if you isolated him, Oshie and Carlson and Backstrom would just torch you in the four-on-three on the rest of the power play. Just dummy them, you know? And if they're not doing that anymore, teams have all the reason in the world to isolate Ovechkin. So I haven't watched enough of the Capitals games to really truly form a solid opinion on what's happening here. But my educated guess is that it's a little bit of Vetchkin slowing down, but a lot of the Capitals slowing down. Yeah, it has to. Like it, it must be so difficult to get off to a good start when you're not young and spry and your team is absolutely one of the worst in the league. So I would have no idea what that's like. No, no. You've never been young and spry. I think you were born 35 years old. You might be right. <laughs> the way your knees creak and your back makes noises. 
It's a sacrifice I make to be a, you know, a very average golfer. <laughs> a very average golfer and above average podcaster. That's right. Yeah. That's how I would label myself. I think I'm a below average podcaster and a terrible golfer. So you got me beat. Uh, okay. Fair enough. I did end the year breaking a hundred though. Yeah. So I'm happy with that. Okay. More NHL news before we jump into overtime. The uh, NHL has been polling GMs and teams across the league on what their opinion is of changing the format of the NHL draft and not the way they make picks themselves in terms of the order, or how many picks per round, etc. And no, this isn't an abolish the draft conversation. I'm not doing that. It's where do you host the draft? So the sphere. Uh, yeah, the Vegas sphere. I wouldn't be surprised if they try in the future, but right now what the NHL is actually hoping to do or looking into doing, I should say, that might solve a couple of problems is do the remote draft style that other leagues do, wherein teams are all at their home base. Think of the NFL where you get, you know, video feeds into their war rooms or whatever you want to call it. And they call in their picks and then, and I hate this, the commissioner makes the picks. Or sometimes people come in and make the picks on behalf of the teams. And essentially the NHL is gauging interest in doing that. And the problems they're trying to solve here is one, teams feel like they can't actually do a lot of business on the draft floor because everyone else is around in the moment you pick up the phone, the cameras are on you and, and people, reporters, whatever, are snooping. And secondly, they also hate how close the draft is to free agency. And it's a big ordeal, traveling everyone out there, getting settled, having your meetings, doing the draft, wrapping up, getting everyone home, getting settled, and then getting together for free agency. Like there's not a lot of time. You know, if the draft is on the 27th or 28th, you have a few days and then all of a sudden it's July 1st for free agency. So teams are trying to buy themselves a little bit of leeway in terms of planning for free agency, or at least that's the idea. Now, what does this mean for the fan experience in the building? And what does this mean for the fan experience at home? That's a different question. But what do you guys think about the idea of doing a remote style draft? I can't make up my mind on this one because I, I see the advantages for both. One, I love the pageantry of the prospect going up on stage, you know, getting his picture taken with the uh, important members of the organization. Sometimes they bring up some fan favorite players, et cetera. They're the, they're the only league that does that. And it does make for a really cool aesthetic when the player's on stage. Now, that being said, from a entertainment theatrics perspective, the NHL draft is lagging behind the other leagues because when you have less congestion is not the right word, but we'll call it less logistic hurdles. You can do more with it. Like the NFL draft specifically, I hate that it's Roger Goodell handing it out, but you move a pack of that team's fans up near the stage. Just the prospect comes out onto the stage, gets his jersey. He's isolated. It's efficient. It's cool. It makes for a really, really unique fan experience and a really, really unique experience for the player. And I like that. So I think what I ultimately settle on is Whatever they do, up the fan experience, essentially, from a TV standpoint and from an in-person standpoint, whether that's moving all the draft tables backstage or not, or not, or decentralizing, I'd be okay with that too. Just, I, the one opinion I hold strongly on this, and I will not back down, and if the NHL does this, everybody will universally hate it, if they do decentralize it. Not Gary Bettman. I agree. Bowie. I cannot stand commissioners making the picks. It is the dweebest thing that other leagues do. I can't stand it. It's so annoying. What no they, one cares about the commissioner. What they should do, every team, this is what I would do. 
if you decentralize it, because again, all the logistic reasons they want to do this that you laid out makes perfect sense to me. And I, I understand why teams would want that. It makes a lot of sense from a behind the scenes standpoint. Every team picks a representative. Carey Price has to do all 32. But I, you're, you're <laughs> such an asshole. <laughs> Bobby Clark comes out for the Flyers. No, but it could be a celebrity, you know, doesn't have to be like an A-grade celebrity. <laughs> like we as Red Wings fans, it'd be cool if like, I don't know, Dave Coulier or Kodak something. Kodak Black comes out for the four of <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like Dave Coulier or Nick Lidstrom or just someone that has like ties to Detroit, to the Red Wings. And hopefully someone with a bit of personality. And Marshall Mathers comes out just as the prospect's name and leaves. <laughs> that would be the best case scenario, just so we're all clear. But yeah, and then each fan base still gets, you know, the, for us, we'll call it the Detroit spin on the pick, but then you can really up the theatrics of it all, which I am fully in favor of. I feel the same in that I, I heard it and I know there was a lot of strong reactions to it, but I don't. I think it would suck to miss out on the opportunity to go and be on the draft floor and, you know, from a media perspective, but as a, from a fan perspective, I can see benefits to both, but the only way I would really prefer it is if, yeah, Brad, like there was some kind of presentation to this and it wasn't just, you didn't just make it more sterile for the sake of logistics. Cause at the end of the day, unfortunately to say Brad is exactly right. This is an entertainment industry. You can't just strip away something that is supposed to be entertaining in the off season just because you know, some execs want things to be a little bit more convenient because then where does that stop? So I don't love it. I don't hate it. If it's the commissioner making the picks, I can't stand it. It's akin to when, you know, owners are the first ones to get the trophy in other sports. I can't stand that. I don't care if they own the team, give it to the captain first. But if they make the change, they're going to have to get creative. Do I have a lot of faith that the NHL can do that? (laughs) That's a different question. There's one huge point we're missing too. And I know not everybody listening to this is an NFL fan, but I know a lot of you are. So for those that aren't, go find a clip of the NFL draft. And I want you to pay attention not to Goodell handing the jersey to the player on stage. Look at the crowd. Look at how many people are there. You know what the NHL is missing out on right now with their draft uh, process? Money. You make this a more fan-centric experience like the NFL does, and the NFL does a masterful job of it. <laughs> they are going to make a ton more money off the draft. Well, it's crazy. I was in Nashville pre-COVID, well, let's say, when they had the draft. And there were people there a week before. Yeah, it's I mean, event. Nashville's an amazing place to be regardless. But people are like, we're here for the draft. And it wasn't for another five days. Like, that's how big it is for the NFL. I think if the NHL is looking at easy wins, if they don't want to totally restructure this, limit the number of people are going up on stage because teams bring up a freaking busload of people and it slows everything down. We don't have the prospect. It takes a while to get the prospects to the stage. They got to shake everybody's hand, which, which is fantastic. At some point, they'll be able to do that anyway. To me, they need to make the draft faster and they need to make it more fan centric because nobody wants to sit through two and a half hours of a first round. Even if you want the teams to still be there, the change I would make no matter what to further Evan's point, the players, the teams get the hell backstage. 
put if you want that those cool draft floor conversations, you can send cameras back there. The NFL does it. The whole draft floor, stage and fans. Because again, the one thing the NFL does that I love is they have sections. The Red Wings section. You could have the Leafs section, the Senators section, yeah. whatever. And then when that team's picking, you shuffle them right up to the stage. Yep. It's it's awesome. There literally is a playbook on how to do this better, but nobody is literate, I suppose. I think it's really funny, and this is because we just did this, and so that's why my brain is thinking this way, but it's very analogous to a wedding. Like Brad said, whether you leave this remote or in person as is, you settled on some really good points there, Evan. Like You need to make this more efficient. And the part that reminds me of a wedding is when you're getting married, you want all the most important people in your life to make a speech, but you can't do that at the end of the day because then the speeches will go on for ever. ever, forever. And everyone else there doesn't care. Everyone else there doesn't care. So I know NHL execs, it's a very like insular group. It's the old boys club, whatever. And they all, they all need to pay their uh, respects and pleasantries or whatever. You thank the host and you congratulate the Vegas Golden Knights. And if unfortunately someone passed, you recognize the fact that they passed. And that's all worthwhile stuff to talk about. Like genuinely on an objective level, yeah, you want to acknowledge that. You want to be respectful because you as an exec from the New Jersey Devils, this might be your only time where you're addressing your colleagues over in San Jose or whatever it might be. But at the end of the day, you have to make, you have to sacrifice that fluff and the stuff that no one else cares about, which is the fans who are tuning in or attending, like Brad said, in their sections, because it, it just doesn't matter to them. You have to sacrifice those things for the sake of the entertainment product. You tell them, you go up there and say, don't do the pleasantries. We'll do something in the beginning for the team who won the cup. And we'll do something in the beginning for the cities that, that's hosting. That's amazing. And if there's a memorial, we'll do that at the beginning. And we'll cover everyone. You can't all be spending three minutes doing it. Also, have your shit together and know who's making the pick and what they're actually saying, please. And if you must bring up 20 people, do it quick. Not 20 people. You're bringing up five. Whatever it has to be, right? So whether they go with the remote product or the as is, I think no matter what, like, yeah, logistically, they have to create some more time for free agency. But as you said, Evan, there's a playbook out there that other leagues are doing, especially the NFL. Make this a better thing for fans in general, because you know what? There isn't, it is a different planet, the amount of interest that's in the NFL draft and the amount of engagement and hype compared to what the NHL does. But the amount of like want to engage with it is all there in the NHL. 50% of the show is based on the draft so far because of how bad the Red Wings have been. Yeah, like if the NFL is 50 times more popular than the NHL, obviously their draft's going to be a bigger deal. But their draft is 100 times more successful than the NHL's. It is not equivalent, and it is not just because it's a bigger fan base thing. It's because the NFL draft is a better product. Hire us, NHL. I don't think there are people out there who are more tuned into the NHL draft over the past near decade than we are. But more importantly, as Lions fans and a Bills fan who have been picking very high in the NFL draft for a long time, we are very tuned into the NFL draft. Please, please just make it better. Anyways. Well, we have to go to the next draft because it's, I'll say air quotes, rumored to be in Vegas. I would strongly believe it will be in Vegas. If they can find a location that works in terms of timing, that's also part of this. The sphere. Uh, I feel like they have a backlog of people who want to sign up for a spot at the Sphere. Like us, Wing Wheel Podcast Night at, uh, at the Sphere. At the sphere. <laughs> Can you imagine the entire Sphere is just a 3D silhouette of Evan's head just as we're recording? <laughs> Inside and outside, it's just Evan's face. 
It's going to be the, the picture uh, that Rowan keeps posting online of you eating the hot dog in the upper bowl <laughs> at the LCA. Uh, if that's what it takes, I'm willing to sacrifice. I also have, I haven't posted it yet, a video, some pictures and videos of you looking for your ball on the uh, Lynx course that we played, and you look really grumpy in them. And I think that would be a really good one, too. You also need to be far more specific because that yeah, sounds that. like almost all, every time I go play golf. That's fair. All right, folks, uh, we're going to jump into overtime on this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast because we can go on forever about uh, Evan's facial expressions. Uh, We're going to get into overtime, which is a segment where we take questions and comments from our listeners and continue our discussion. Overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast if you want to support the show. You get benefits like entering into our giveaway of two tickets to every Red Wings home game that I talked about earlier in the episode. You also get access to our Patreon exclusive Discord, and you get to tune into all of our bonus content. For example, we record a bonus overtime episode right after these main ones. It helps us plan Winged Wheel podcast nights at the LCA. It helps us support the Jamie Daniels Foundation. It helps us make this show bigger and better and produce more content like Expected by Whom, a show hosted by Prashant Iyer and Sean Shapiro. Be sure to check them out. So again, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast if you want to join the Dub Dub Club. All right, let's take some questions from our patrons. Coyote season tickets in anywhere but Tempe. This is more of a statement, but he mentions Brendan Shanahan, so I'm reading it out. He says, the only thing I can compare to Brinkett's arrival and immediate impact to is the trade that brought Shaney to the Red Wings in 96. If even a sliver of organizational success follows what the Wings got from that deal, U3 won't be producing content with prospect profiles before May anytime soon. First of all, just seeing that written note made me almost emotional to think about us talking about hockey in late April. And I think it raises a good point. You know, something that I've talked about a lot on the show is, yes, you can't see steps five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten in the so-called Iser plan right now because it's there's just too much uncertainty and moves that have to be made. But one thing I do firmly believe in in the NHL, two things, is one, things can change on a dime, and they often do more than we give credit for, which is hard to come to grips with because you can't see it, and so you're you're scared that it won't. But two, success begets success. Winning begets winning, and it also encourages other players to want to come be part of your program. The Red Wings already have the legacy. They have the prolific GM that people seem to have a good reputation, uh, or they hold him in high regard, and they want to play for him. And that is a you know stark contrast based on the years where people wouldn't want to come play for Mike Babcock. So can winning now really change the floor plan for the Red Wings, and can it encourage really meaningful players. I'm talking maybe not all Elias Pettersson level, but not crazy to talk about Elias Pettersson to come over and be part of this. Am I right in saying that, or is that just too optimistic? You're right, but it's also too optimistic. Does that make sense? I just have to reclaim my title. You know what I mean, though? Because yeah. as good as the Red Wings process might be, and this absolutely could be justification for the Elias Petterson's of the world, you're still going to be competing against 31 other teams is the reality of it. And every scenario you look at is always going to be more unlikely than it is likely. But it at least, what I will say, is gets the Red Wings to the table. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, and that's a big step up based on what it's been in the past. Yeah, just ask Steven Stamkos. <sighs> one day we'll stop hitting ourselves with that one. Listening to Ryan Hanna in the shower says, uh, beating Pittsburgh is always fun. I'm not going to lie. I'm a bit nervous about the Ottawa game on Saturday. They've looked really strong, and now they have Josh Norris back as well. Anyhow, I saw the Athletics article on redrafting 2020, and Raymond was at five. I'd personally have him no lower than three, probably at two. Just wondering what thoughts are about that. Stay fresh, cheese bags. My thoughts is don't read the 2019 one. (laughs) That's the closest I've ever come to throwing my phone. 
Yeah, I think redrafts are tough, but that one was uh, a lot of hard work goes into those. So I'm not trying to disparage anyone who writes it, but I do think both of those, the Red Wings were shortchanged a little bit. Yeah, Raymond at five. I I don't have him that low. I think he probably sticks at four. You could maybe make a case for three. Mike Caviani says, okay, so since this is recording before the upcoming showdown with Ottawa, please tell us all how to react to either outcome on Saturday afternoon so I can prepare my emotions accordingly. I think it more, I think the process matters more than the outcome in this game. They're divisional rivals. They're going to play more than once over the course of the season. So you can't, you can't put the balance of the entire year on this. Like if Detroit wins, they're not an automatic playoff team. And if they lose, they're not automatically going to be in the Macklin celebrating conversation by January, right? But what you should look out for is if they come in and compete like they did against Pittsburgh, or if they come in and compete like they did against Ottawa late season last year. Those are two very, very different things in my mind. Yeah. Just the one thing it cannot be is a repeat of last year. Cletus says, at this rate, I'm convinced it's in the team's best interest to wave Petrie and put Sherratt in the press box or find a trade. You bring up Edvinson and Johansson or any other uh, Grand Rapids D-man who's ready. He thinks two rookies would be better than those two. Is it just me? I think Edvinson needs to find a way in. And I think the team is already cycling between Hall and Mata to start. We might, and Petrie as well. You might see Sherratt enter that conversation, but I don't know that he's going to be scratched very often. I don't know that after games like last game, you're going to find a lot of encouragement to to move him out. For example, they did contribute offensively for whatever defensive woes there were. But I agree that Edvinson needs to come in at the very least. I I think there's just too much musical chairs of defensemen who probably any given game have a reason to be scratched to just not have Edvinson in that mix in my mind. Beyond that, like, yeah, I, I Johansson, what you'd hope would have a spot eventually, so... The one thing is, too, at least when you get into the thick of the playoff race, continuity is important. Yeah. You can't run this rotation for the whole season. Orange Sunquist says, do you guys think a team should be able to choose if they want to decline a penalty shot in favor of a two-minute power play? Up two goals halfway through the third with cop shooting, I would rather have the two-minute power play. I think the chance of converting on the power play is probably equal or greater than cop scoring on the penalty shot. If they don't convert, then that's two minutes off the clock. I'd be cool with giving the teams the option with the knowledge knowing they would take the penalty shot every time. You kind of have to statistically. I don't know. Like even the worst players in the NHL, like you think about Red Wings who didn't contribute for a while. There was a moment in time where Luke Glendening was actually a guy to go to at the shootout because he had a little stretch where he was good there. So I, I think you should give him the option, but yeah, I agree. Most teams are always going to take the penalty shot. What do you think about giving them the penalty shot and then the power play after? That's too much. Too much? Too much. Because that's essentially a double minor. I have to, you know, call it the fact, respect to those referees, two penalty shots in two games. I'm very, very, very pro penalty shot and very anti-shootout. The refs are just helping the entertainment value. That's right. Dead Aim says, offense so far has been better than expected. Who, if anyone, do you think still needs to improve in this very young season, whether it be passing, shooting, or uh, shooting instead of passing, or zone entry? Go Wings. Perron can't just be a power play specialist. No, although it is helped if he's not on the top line, I will say. Like, if that's, he needs to be scoring from a depth role, but, you know, we're not talking about Perron on the top line holding Raymond back like last year. Perron earned that spot. But Lalone didn't hesitate to move him down this year. 
What's the Mata says, was skeptical at first, but I'm now a huge fan of Costin and Fisher. Great shutdown penalty killers and fourth line guys as veterans that won't complain about time on ice. What do you guys think about their offensive upside? Costin seemed pretty explosive at times with his skating. Could he be a guy that may be uh, moving up to a scoring line? He's not going to move up to a scoring line. And I'm, I am, though, curious to see what they can do over the balance of a season. It's only four games for them. So, you know, for your fourth liners to not be contributing a lot, isn't that's fine. I do think there is more to them, and I'm curious to see how that can balance out over the course of a year. What happens when Fabry gets healthy, though, is a different question and how that affects that. Yeah, I have, without getting into too long of an answer, I have more faith in Costin than I do Fisher from the offensive output side of things. I think it's okay to have guys where their line does nothing. If you know what I mean? Like, yeah, doesn't really generate any offense. Nothing bad happens when they're on the ice. I think that's completely okay. Net negative or net positive, I should say, for Detroit when it was the net negative was what was the default for lower lines. So, yep. yeah. Pock says, I'm glad there's a screenshot of Detroit having the number one power play in the NHL. What's the longest you see this lasting? And do you think Detroit makes it out of October in the top five? I'll call it unlikely, but uh, hey, season of optimism. I can see October for sure. Streakiness holds on a little bit in the NHL. Beyond that, then that is going to be a different story, I think. It's not impossible, but we would have to see a completely different version of the Red Wings in terms of not being streaky with your special teams, which has been the story of the last however many years, and that's whether they were bad or good, so... October, I can see it happening. If it's in November, then I'm starting to make uh, late April, or I'm starting to cancel my late April plans. Okay, that's enough of this episode of the Windy Wheel Podcast. I'm afraid that if I talk any longer, I'll be way, way, way too optimistic, and I'll just have way too much content that could be used to clip me later for when things go sour. But uh, we want to thank everyone for tuning in. What a start to the season. Thank you all so much. If you're a new listener to the show, welcome. And if you're a listener of old, isn't this fun? If you want to support the show, patreon.com slash podcast. And if you want to go the extra mile and support the show in a different way, leave us a rating wherever you listen to your pod, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, wherever, and subscribe. Also tell a friend. It does make a big difference. It really helps us out when you do those things. To all of our Patreon supporters, we couldn't do this without you. And to all of you who want to come out and see more of the Winged Wheel podcast and enjoy the Red Wings dominating, Winged Wheel podcast night at the LCA, Saturday, November 4th. Not just my birthday. Watch me turn 30 and fall and wither away into dust, but also uh, have some fun, see Ken and Chris Osgood, and watch the Red Wings hopefully beat the Bruins that day. So to all of our Patreon supporters, again, thank you, and to our name-level supporters, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Icon, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland, Glenn Brabham, Everybody Loves Raymond, Croner's Left Knee, Sea Lion, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, 05 Kinsler 05, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Brian J. Bauer, Carl Brutano Nanaluski, Citizen High Five, Clip Clop Nene, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets and Anywhere But Tempe, Craig Kibble, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Exquisitine Buble Schwinslow, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kalen Wood, King Tone, Marcus, Marlon Winchester, Matt K. Cannon Fodder of the Cheesebag Army, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, Never Go Full Kyle, Newhorn, who dis? RA, Red 3, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Scree and Lube, that's what I appreciate about you. Wallman's Elite Dancing D, 
Brian Vasha, Iserplan Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Adam Rose, Axel Sandy Pelica, Big Cheese, Brad Simmons, Chuck Buffchest, the Tarpless Goon, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Prita, Darren Fick, D-Boss Snip Show. Folks, do you love lemons? Also, do you love butts? Then please try our new sponsor. <laughs> Read, I'm not reading the rest of that. Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Griffey Boy, Henrik Robert Deeks, James Laporte, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, Jam Rhapsody, John Evans Derogatory, John Engels, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider. Now this looks like a job for cheese bags. Ophelia, Steven, the Hotag, the Mexinadian, the Hat123, Winging It in San Diego, X, formerly AA Ron, and your second favorite patron. Thank you all so very much. We'll be back with you Sunday night. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.